Here at the BQN Network, we support and express solidarity for all of the writers and actors that have brought us the stories we passionately speak about. We continue to show love to all that are fighting the good fight for the WGA, SAG-AFTRA, and any upcoming strikes. We stand with you. You're listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast here on BQN and the Fandom Podcast Network. I'm your host, Amy, and with me today, I have Kelvin and Mark. Hello, Kelvin. How are you? I'm really, really good, Amy. Um, Oh, just had a a really lovely weekend this weekend. Um, Just finished reading Patrick Stewart's autobiography. So decided to take a little trip in the car over to Murfield uh, area of Yorkshire where he was born and raised and just had a little picture, a little selfie talk outside his childhood home, holding up the autobiography uh, posted to Twitter if anyone wants to take a look. But yeah, and that would so, be at cute. Kelvin's timeline. That's great. Thank you for the marketing, Amy. I appreciate that. <laughs> that is so awesome. And so it was what, like a 40 minute drive or? Oh, if that, you know, so 25 miles, so mm. 30 minutes, very much on the border between my county, uh, Greater Manchester and Yorkshire were Patrick's from so I just feel a little guilty that of all the years I've been a Star Trek fan I've never kind of connected the dots to think where I knew Patrick Stewart was from Yorkshire but I never actually thought whereabouts should I go Mm -hmm. and see but reading the book and the detail he describes his his early life just made me want to go and take a look so yeah nice little nice little street in a little quiet village in Yorkshire Oh my gosh, how wonderful that you are that close. That is great. Uh, Do you want to give just a brief book review, book report to the teacher? I I will, I will. So I thought I would be consuming this memoir um, purely to do with Star Trek. And there's 25 chapters and I probably not a spoiler to say, but he doesn't really get to the point in his life where he got Star Trek Next Generation, 1986, 87, until chapter 18-19. So the majority of the book is his childhood, early life, getting into acting, his time with the Royal Shakespeare Company, very much theatre, theatre, theatre. Uh, and then the kind of chance, accidental stumbling into TV in America, and obviously this. Um, and there's a huge amount of content around the interview process for Picard and season one hmm. and two, everyone coming together. But then kind of three, four, five, six, seven is all truncated. And then there's talk about the films and the X-Men um, and then the pandemic. So it's the the huge amount of detail is his early life but because he's somebody that we feel that we know and is almost an extended part of our family it feels like without sounding strange because i've been listening in the car on an audiobook it feels like i've been having him as a passenger in my car for the oh. last couple of weeks yes. and he's been like like having my granddad with me on journeys and he's been telling me about his early life. So I've just, I don't, I don't remember enjoying a book this much for so long. Mm. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait. Um, Joe needs to buy it because I share his Audible account. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Joe, let's get this going. You do know we're recording, don't you, Amy? You're not meant to say things like that. <laughs> Oops, bleep. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. I do. uh, Yeah, it sounds like it's a great uh, book. I've just heard nothing but good things. Um, But that was, yeah, really good to prepare you. So you're not trying to find Star Trek at the very beginning. (laughs) Mm -mm. Yeah. 
Well, Mark, how are you doing this fine Sunday? Hi, listeners. Yeah, I'm also here. Yeah. Hi, guys. Hi. Um, I'm doing well. Um, busy few weeks with Cinema Z. We're doing a whole bunch of uh, spooky movies. And uh, we have a new one coming out this week. We're going to do Annihilation. I'm really excited about that. Um, really great spooky film everybody should check out uh also still house hunting with andy and that's also appropriate for spooky season because uh, it's a scary process <laughs> <laughs> very good all right let's see this is the bridge all hands to emergency escape pods escape pod hey guys uh, today we're going to be covering the Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 8, Episode Caves. And uh, so this episode is pretty interesting because this is one of the few, if if we've seen any, uh, flashback episodes in Lower Decks. And what I love about it is it flashes back to episodes we have not seen. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of fun. Um, and I love the little callback to, you know, the planet hell sets and how all the caves kind of look the same. They were just painted different and there was a great homage to that. So, uh, it was, it was a really fun episode. What did you guys think? Yeah, it, I really did enjoy this. I was laughing all the way through and, uh, Mariner, I feel like I've been in this cave a hundred times. I'm like, yep. We all feel that when we look at like time zero and then first duty and it's just like, oh no, not first duty for uh final mission, you know, that cave, that's the one. Yeah. And uh, it just is so funny. And I'm just going to say it where Mar Mariner uh, goes to the time dilation when she's recounting hers and they age. Oh my gosh. Those saggy boobs had me rolling on the floor and as a person of <clears throat> elderly age I can relate and I totally remember being young like your boobs aren't gonna get saggy and then yeah they do it's so funny I oh my gosh I was laughing so much I really liked it I also felt like we were watching and all good things you know how we like disc we have a series and now I think we're going to need a series, episode series about caves. <laughs> I had exactly the same thought, Amy. Um, can I say for the purpose of the listeners who've not seen pictures of Amy, Amy, your your boobs are not sagging on the floor. Thank you. You're a, <laughs> a, you're a vision of beauty. Uh, so don't do, your, don't do yourself down like that. But um, I came into this episode and the theme of the episode kind of slapped me around the face. That, that I I have not considered consciously just how many cave episodes there have been in throughout uh, Star Trek. So I yeah I I love I think it was my favorite episode of the season. I'm just going to put it out. But I would like to play a little game with you two. Okay. And I know you I know you both have bad memories, so this might be a very short game. <laughs> so I want us to play cave tennis with okay. star trek and i okay. want you each to mention an episode set in a cave until you draw a blank and then we'll okay. move on so we'll start with you amy and you've got carte blanche all of star trek even movies because some of those are in caves oh um, you can you can go for it and let's see how long it is until we draw a blank Okay, well, I will start with the two that I already named, but I'll I'll do them one at a time. So that was a uh, final mission. Okay, Mark. Devil in the dark. Oh, great one, Amy. Oh, I thought you were going to play too. Oh, I'm not no. playing because I've I've thought of this. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and and you know what I'm like with trivia, so I'd rather adjudicate. I'll adjudicate. Okay, okay. Um, and then uh, time zero. Mark. Devil in the dark. 
<laughs> we said, we, I said don't know. Caves. we said caves, not temporal causality, Luke. <laughs> I don't know. My, my memory's so bad. Like, I know the one where they're like a Worf and um, Dr. Crusher are like in the cave. They're all dressed in black and they end up losing Picard. And That's the one I was going to name. Mark, yeah, but I don't, okay. I don't What's the name you of that can, one? I don't. Birthright. So you can describe them without saying the name of the episode if that's easier for you okay. i'll fill in the gaps there so, so, that, so that one you've, you've got a you've got a point there mark for birthright <laughs> um oh higher ground yes yeah the high ground the uh, yeah, the high, yeah. yes the beverly crusher taken hostage underground great one. episode yeah yeah any more from you mark uh yeah it was uh ugh. This is a Voyager episode. Um, shoot, uh, it's like it's not Cathexis, is it? It's is it the one? It, they have a there's a cave, and then they keep beaming the bodies into the cave, and they're doing the scans of the bodies. We oh, covered it on all good things. Emanations, emanations. Yes, great one. one. I didn't even think of that one. That's a great episode for a cave. <laughs> Job, Mark. <laughs> oh, I, don't know I know. I was so impressed that I lost mine. <laughs> Um, oh no 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 no! Um, it's the one where Riker sees Minuet and now knows it's the fake. Future imperfect. Yes. Yeah. This just—I mean, we must draw a line under this. Yes. Time, otherwise, this will take the full out. There's just so many, and you don't even think of those episodes as being cave episodes, and it goes throughout all of Star Trek. I love it so. Bringing it back to Lower Decks, I just loved the fact that they cottoned onto this thread and they threw it all in there. And some of the content of the episode, you've mentioned the time dilation, but the bit with the baby, uh, Rutherford's story, that mm -hmm. was an exact replica of the Voyager episode with Tom Paris and Neelix in the cave where they had the little dinosaur baby that they were uh, going around with in season two, Patrician, I think it's called. And um, oh. so that was a direct reference. It was just such a great, great job. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a really good episode. I'm trying to think it because there were some that I wasn't that fond of. So when you said this is your favorite of the season, that's a pretty strong statement. I might have to yeah. agree with you on that. And I'm a huge Moopsie fan. So I, yeah. I loved Mootsie and I loved the Voyager episode in two Vicks, but I think this I think this has got lots of rewatch potential. Yes. It, it's one of those ones that I will go to, a bit like Wedge do. I will just go back and watch this one over and over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have a maybe a controversial opinion. Hmm. Uh what are you feeling? What was the there was that acronym? Uh that was on the stickers on Enterprise, like on the um, on Enterprise D set. Uh, was it um, goes nowhere, does nothing? GNDN. Right? Yeah, GNDN. Okay, there we go. That's how I felt about this episode. It goes nowhere and it does nothing. I mean, mm -hmm. I guess we learn a little bit more about the heroes, but it isn't there's not much of a story to it. They're just in a cave. They're stuck in the cave. They were they weren't trying to do anything. I guess I, I don't know. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't go anywhere and didn't do anything. But it is not to say I didn't enjoy it. I just had that fe overall feeling about the episode. Mm -hmm. I don't know how rewatchable it is for me. Uh, yeah, it was like a clip show episode, but at least there were clips I haven't seen. Yeah. <laughs> the concept of um, animation doing flashback episodes is funny in itself because on traditional TV shows, a flashback episode is the money saving one where they get they run out of budget mm -hmm. for the season so they do a clip show whereas this is all brand new what i would say is i i will give a down for the episode is that one of the aliens um i can't think of the name of the species but the the voice it was so clearly um captain freeman who was doing don the lewis. voice don lewis she didn't even try to differentiate her voice so i was kind of half expecting throughout the episode for it to be some trick and it was Mariner's mom playing a well, trick on them. The aliens that they used were from um, the animated series. That's and right. uh, 
the voices of most of the aliens in the animated series were all the cast members anyway. So yeah. it's kind of a nod to that in a way. And I thought it was cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jerry O'Connell and Don Lewis were the Vendorians one and Vendorians, two. Vendorians. There you yeah. go. So listeners, if you would like to hear uh, more in-depth of thoughts of this episode from me, you can hear me on this week's Infinite Diversity, where I talk with Thad and Chrissy about caves. And I didn't mention the saggy boobs. I was saving that just for this show. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, we're happy to have your saggy boobs any day. Thank you. All right, listeners, let's get to today's discussion. We are very excited to be continuing our Architect series. This is part two, and today we are going to deep dive into Joe Minoski. Now, listeners, you will remember we previously covered DC Fontana and had a wealth of knowledge to discuss about her life, her children, her works. Um, This is not the case with our dear friend Joe Minoski. Uh, There is not a lot of personal information. I sort of feel like he's recluse and like does his own thing, comes out into the sunlight for a little bit and then goes back away. I don't know. I just sort of get that feeling. There's no social media. Uh, I was reading an interview that he did and the interview was through email. It wasn't even a (laughs) face or a phone call. It was an interview through email. I'm like, okay. Um, so I just wanted to get your first thoughts of like, when you typed in Joe Minoski into Google, what were you feeling when you saw so little come up? Uh, well, first of all, I panic because I knew we had an episode to talk about, <laughs> so, so I need some content. Um, it is really interesting in this day and age that someone is so far off the grid of, you know, just known for the work. And I don't know if that's something that I massively respect as a professional or kind of the pessimist in me makes me think, why is that? Is there some kind of strange reason why he's so reclusive? Um, But I would like to kind of come back with a question because I know both yourself, Amy, and Mark are very famous on the show for just finding Joe Minoski episodes such a treat in themselves. So what is it about the man or the content, if you were to summarize it, what is it about Joe Minoski that is so fantastic, in your opinion? Well, for me, I I feel like it, I grew up uh, in a household that really appreciated like Twilight Zone. So some of my earliest sci-fi memories are watching stuff like that. And I think his writing style harkens back to another day and time, you know, um, where they had they wanted to tell these allegories and these stories that had such heart and intellect to it and really made you think about yourself and your surroundings, uh, learn a little bit more about the world through these abstract outlandish stories and um i've always connected with that you know it's not bonk bonk on the head it's like with the joe minoski story it's like layers of an onion you can watch it multiple times and you'll understand it from different points different viewpoints on different levels and um i love that it's he is a very intelligent writer um and i I think it takes somebody with a high intellect to be able to craft this these type of stories that are so high concept um that they take a few viewings to really absorb um what the the message or the meaning is i I love that about his work yeah for me and i'm not one who really you know really gets into who wrote this episode this was great you know like we talked about caves not once did we say who wrote it um but in podcasting and you know, choosing episodes and yeah, Trek Trekkers are always famous for what's your favorite episode or what's one that's really good. And it seems like every time I'm talking about it and having this in-depth conversation, 
it tends to be a Joe Minoski episode, like the writing and how it's written and the topic and, you know, what it's drawing to in our social world, um, connecting it to real life. Like, I just find that there's heartier discussions with Joe Minoski episodes. And so that's why his name has really popped out. Um, you know, and plus, like we get Ronald D. Moore, he's known for the Klingon stories, right? Because he sort of took that on. So when I'm talking about like these high concept, as Mark said, we're going to say that a lot. Like what makes you think episodes? More often than not, it's going to be a Joe Minoski. I love that. I really, I really value you both putting that into context and into words because I thought to admit, I don't really look behind the camera with my passion for Star Trek. I'm all about the characters, the story, the plot, the kind of lineage of the series, the timeline. And I will never watch an episode and love it and think, I wonder who directed that or I wonder who wrote that. And, and, you know, there's times where, dare I say, I will fake it. You know, like when someone will say, oh, it's a Jonathan Frakes directed episode. Yeah. And I will go, ooh, I'm just doing that because it's Riker. I don't know if his direction style is so much better than other people's. Yes. I understand I understand from the actor's perspective, they love it because he's a an actor's director. But as a viewer, I will never say, oh, we're bound to get some really great shots because it's this director. So from a writer... I never really connect the dots and say, here we've got a high concept, um, high brow episode concept. I wonder who the writer is. I just let the, the narrative wash over me and the kind of the canon, for want of a better phrase. So mm -hmm. I'm interested for our episode today to be kind of taken on this journey to hopefully appreciate the work that goes into creating these masterpieces a little bit more. I'm curious uh, for both of you. This is a question I want to throw out. Um, there was so much to choose from. I mean, not only the Star Trek stuff, but the Orville for all mankind. Uh, he's done um, what was the Stephen King series that he worked on as well. Um, you know, there's been a whole lot of different uh, TV series he has uh, written for. And I'm just wondering, to prepare for this episode, did you guys watch anything of his at all or no? No, I didn't. And I was thinking I should watch some Voyager ones because those are mm -hmm. the ones I'm least familiar with. Um, but I didn't. I went back... And I rewatched Sanctuary, the Orville episode, mm -hmm. uh, because I hadn't seen it in a while and I didn't know that he wrote it. I remembered that I liked it, but I didn't remember that he wrote it. And I it's 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 one of those episodes that really like it helped change the course of the Orville, which mm -hmm. is crazy. So his Mark, DNA is baked right into that series now. This must be what it's like for people who can't piece together an episode from the title. <laughs> so can you give me a quick... I've seen all of the Orville. Yeah. But I don't know them by title. Can you give me a very quick, you know... Yeah, so uh, what goes for on the in listeners, that episode? No problem. So for the listeners, uh, and also Calvin, that uh, may uh, be fuzzy on the recollection of, of that episode. Uh, so here's... We have a, a, a character um, that... Uh -huh. that well, yes, but I'm talking about the, the Mocklin specifically. Their culture is uh, very macho, sort of their, it's like their version of the Klingons. And they only supposedly have males um, that are born. Up until this point, this is what we're thinking. And then, you know, come to find out, like, um, one of the, the main characters has a kid that ends up being born a female. And it's this big thing, and they uh, have it spend an episode, I think the previous season, uh, and they have to, you know, the government decides to force them to do corrective surgery to change it, you know, gender to be a male. So that had happened, right? So that was like the previous season. This was the episode where you first discover that no, uh, it's not just a fluke. There's actually a lot of uh, Clinton that are born female, and they 
are living uh, in exile um, in this nebula. And the leader of the female faction uh, end up, ends up discovering the music of Dolly Parton and using that to lead her revolution. <laughs> so I was going to it's say, a, it's it's a cool a, is this the Dolly Parton episode? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Very high concept. So Joe Minoski started his career as a journalist and worked for NPR as a science advisor for All Things Considered and Morning Edition. Do you guys know All Things Considered? It's a pretty cute show. Oh, it's a I great show. I don't even know what NPR is. Oh, National Public Radio. So it's our yeah, BBC. Yeah. It's all BBC yeah, Radio exactly. 1. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, love. <laughs> Again. That's all I can say about his early career. That's all I know. <laughs> so we don't really have any visibility on how he found his way into Star Trek. It wasn't some kind of passion project where he's made a play for it. We don't know if his previous work was admired by the main production team and they brought him in or he just stumbled in. But he just arrived in yeah. TNG season four. Yeah. Season four, I will run down sort of his writing, writing credits for Star Trek and then adjacent Trek episodes, uh, series. So TNG, again, starting in season four, he has a total of 15 uh, credits. Deep Space Nine, only four, but then 36 credits for Voyager. So like he's really a Voyager writer. Uh, one episode of Discovery, which I wanted to talk about. Uh, one episode of The Orville Sanctuary, as Mark discussed, and three episodes of Apple Plus series For All Mankind. And that is another great series, listeners. If you haven't checked it out, we all highly recommend it. So that Discovery episode uh, was Leafy, and it was announced. This was back, listeners, if you've been listening to me since Earl Grey and the Trek FM days, this came out in 2016, announced by the one Mike Schindler, who I absolutely love podcasting with at Trek FM. And he was actually the one to introduce me to looking behind the camera, the writers and the directors and like how to recognize their input into an episode or show. So I did want to shout out to Michael Schindler for that. Um, but he found out that uh, Joe Minoski was going to be writing for Discovery. And that broke um, on our network. I'm just saying. Um, so that was Lethe. And do you remember Lethe, that episode? That's oh, the yeah. one. That's yeah, the one. Yeah, the memory. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no. so Michael Burnham, essentially, uh, she is trying to connect with uh, Sarek. Um via like a mind meld machine that they put on her face in a shuttlecraft and she's trying to find yes. um to find him he is lost in the in this nebula um and yeah it's a weird it's a weird episode and there's some weird visuals mm -hmm. and uh, when i heard that this was his episode i was like of course it's jill minoski this was this was odd so if I was to describe that episode, I would have described it in a completely different way, Mark. You went through very much the <laughs> the search for Sarek, let's call it. Um, and I um, remember this episode from the content of Burnham's memory of her getting into the Vulcan Science Academy at the expense of Spock. And that would explain why Spock and Sarek don't get on. So that kind of filling in the gaps of this Spock and Sarek backstory and how Michael Burnham fits in and relates to all of that is what I loved about this episode. But I just very, as you described it, that was the bit I forgot about this Discovery episode. And I was quickly running down the list of TNG episodes because I thought it's very reminiscent of Dark Page when Diana is searching to connect with Waxana when she's catatonic. And that was just randomly on TV this week. So it's very fresh in my mind. So I was searching down to say, is this Joe Minoski doing a do-over uh, of one of his previous? But it's not. So, yeah, just occurred to me. Wow. I'm surprised he didn't write Dark Page because that's a weird one, too. 
All right. So we have been saying a lot that Joe Minoski has these high concept, high browed uh, episodes. So I, out of the list that was provided, I thought we could sort of tell the listeners why we think and which episodes that he has penned uh, would be considered high concept. I think the chase. It's interesting because I think I actually said this in our, in our little offline chat of how are we defining high concept? Yeah. You know, are we talking, you know, just a, a premise that makes you think or something that's original in its own right? And in the list, particularly of the Voyager episodes, I thought there's some fabulous episodes in this list, some of Voyager's best episodes. Um, but they're not necessarily high concept. They're just good pew, pew, pew space battles or, you know, Scorpion where seven arrive. You know, they move the narrative of the series along and they're great, but not the best in terms of high concept. So looking at the list of these TNG episodes, I am drawn to episodes like Darmok, which is far from being a personal favorite of mine but that high concept teaching about language and communication through stranding two people on a planet and they've just got to get on against a combined enemy um i think that episode is used in universities in language courses and uh, you know teaching people how to look beyond words to body language and different ways to connect and probably spawned lots of other Star Trek episodes like, you know, the 10C stuff in Discovery. So I would consider Darmok to be very high concept um, and something I'm very grateful to Joe Banoski for contributing. So... You bring up a good point because as I was looking at the 15 episodes of TNG, I personally put 10 of them as high concept and Darmok and like the chase, the same thing that each species or race has a different part of the puzzle and we have to work together to, you know, figure it all out. Like super high concept or like masks, like super high concept and weird as, you know, um, and so like, so 10 out of 15 and, you know, doing the math and then jumping down to DS9, two out of the four. All right. So it's a little less percentage. And then like I was talking to uh, our host on the network and like, okay, Voyager, we came up with five out of the 36. And so I was like, okay, did his high concept get diluted? Was he not able because working in the Voyager writer room, he didn't have as much freedom. I don't know. Or maybe he was now writing more consistently. So he was able to get more different types of stories. So they weren't as weird, high concept because yeah, oh. the list of Voyager episodes are amazingly good episodes. Yeah. Oh, let's just think about the kind of, saturation of star trek that we had at that point a lot of things have been done so it was probably a lot harder for joe to come up with a true high concept premise that hasn't been done in ds9 tng or you know i know it wasn't joe but maybe the original series so we've got these great stories on voyager futures ends scorpion uh year of hell that are some of Voyager's top five episodes that everybody loves. But they're just a time travel episode. Is it? Is it high concept? I'm looking at ones like Distant Origin in season, at the mm -hmm. end of season three. Basically, Star Trek has now told us that the dinosaurs became sentient 65 million years ago, jumped in a spaceship and went to the Delta Quadrant. You know, that is not... Star Trek in the future, it's coming. That is now something that Joe is telling us happened in our past, and we've just got to accept it as Star Trek fans. <laughs> um, so I consider that to be tremendously high concept. Mm -hmm. I liked uh, the 
I don't see this on the list anywhere, but uh, the thaw, which yeah. we've covered, uh, I thought that was a high concept episode. Uh, this whole civilization is essentially wiped out, except for like you know a few people stuck in a stasis pod. And then when Harry Kim and Balana go in the stasis pod, they find out this like evil AI entity is you know essentially the devil and is preying on their fears to grow stronger. I mean, that's yeah, that was that was a cool episode. Great acting, too. Yeah, and I did notice as looking at the list and trying to figure out, okay, what are these episodes? He does also really well with developing character. Like the Good Shepherd from Voyager, that's the one where that's mm. our lower deck episodes, right? And yeah. Janeway's helping the underperforming uh, lower deckers. Like that's a really good understanding of society and like how social creatures interact and how can we get the best like he's he has a lot of those character episodes as well so it's not that he's just a one no oh i'm you know highbrow um he writes a lot of different types of episodes and he even developed Riker's character, Amy, so that he would sleep with Ensign Rowe in Conundrum, which I know <laughs> is a favorite plot development of yours. <laughs> yeah. Another one, like Drone of Voyager. I love that one, too. Like, really just good episodes. Okay, I, but... Just, oh, go ahead, can, please. Sorry, yeah. can I just point out that you, you... There's some on this list here that I, I fear you might come for me for this, Amy, that I consider quite weak episodes in okay. terms of maybe execution or not on people's favorites list or don't get ranked very highly. And the, the one, you know, and a lot of people say season seven, TNG started, you know, there's some great episodes, but did start to lose maybe of some of that riding high of four, five, and six. So we've got, interface we've got masks we've got emergence not episodes that i will go to to re-watch um but they're really? on this joe they're on this joe minoski list masks so, is fantastic uh, yeah so, and i love emergence too it's like my, finally the character the ship is getting its own episode right so is that i mean because that's common in masks and emergence that something happens to the enterprise mm -hmm. that creates, you know, the, the Darcy archive or new Versaform city or whatever we want to call them. Mm -hmm. I just, mm, I don't get it. I don't, I don't particularly like data's portrayal and in, you know, with the Moosaka or whatever he's called. Moosaka uh, <laughs> Yeah, so what is it? You two tell me and the listeners what you find so high concept, particularly about masks, since you both are such an advocate for that episode, because I don't get it. Oh, dear. We have done many episodes. <laughs> I, need to, I, need, I need to understand masks because we've got the masquerade ball on the cruise yeah. next year. So I, I might be needing to make a little Corgano or Musaka Oh, my mask. gosh. How many masks are we going to see? <laughs> Everyone. I mean, this is sort of like Data's version of, what is the episode with Picard uh, has the memories of, like, the culture that, you know. The inner light. The inner light. It's like, this is Data's inner light, essentially. Oh. Um, That's where, a good way to put that. I mean, he it's true. It's he has this object. It's the only surviving object from this long since dead culture. And he, yeah, he makes it, but it's still uh, it's because he had made it that it's it survives. Um, and you start learning about this culture and, you know, their way of life and what they believed in and everything. Uh, just through the experiences of each member of the culture, but through uh, Data it, himself. And he's explaining that to, you know, the people he's interacting with, which is like the rest of the crew. Um, I just thought that was really cool. It was a unique way. It wasn't It wasn't the ship going to a planet and uh, beaming down and then learning about. It was 
the ship becoming the planet and the ship, you know, uh, meeting the people that live on the planet through this one being, which was Data. And I mean, it was totally flipping on its head, turning it inside out. Uh, that was very original. Yeah. Okay, Mark, you totally took me on a new direction. This is awesome. I'm loving masks even more. Um, okay, so think about the TNG episode, The Royale, which mm -hmm. I really can't stand. But oh that was God, the so aliens. Good. They so found the good. book and they recreated, you know, this environment based off of a story. So that is what data is doing. We just have a very ancient story. So, you know, like a mythology, you know, something that we would know, like we're going to reinterpret uh, Medusa or whatever that myth is. And so data is this conduit that is recreating this story from another culture a long, long time ago, sort of like the Royale. I watched the Royale. Uh, yes, geez, you do. Maybe way too five, much. Ten times a month. <laughs> I'll be texting Amy. Yeah, I'm watching the Royale again. Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, Amy. Amy lives. She lives in the Royale. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's the point to a Vegas? Girl? Maybe needs a new pair of shoes. <laughs> exactly. I just, I'm just as you've just been describing mass. I know one of the DS9 episodes that I kind of discounted from the list was Dramatis Personae, mm -hmm. on the basis of. It's not massively high concept that we've seen so many episodes where the crew are possessed in some mm -hmm. way. They're not themselves. So I said not high concept. But the way you've just described what happens to data in masks about this archive of information that he's living out, that is exactly what happens in Dramatis Personae. The Klingon ship brings back this alien archive from the Gamma Quadrant. They end up blowing up, and it goes on to DS9, and there's this faction between Kira and Cisco of dominance and mutiny and taking sides who's going to win. So the kind of historical memorial aspect mm -hmm. is the same as masks. So I wonder how hmm. much of that was conscious and how much was not from Joe. Right. Hmm. I wonder, because... I wonder if Joe Minoski, because a lot of this stuff, if you look at the episodes, so, something that goes through each episode of, you know, all of the Star Trek series, at least uh, a common thread of the ones that he's written have this history element to them. And so I wonder if like, you know, that is something that he maybe was interested as a child, maybe like had a grandparent or something that served in the war. Uh, and that, you know, he thinks about often, because I know he, the one uh, writing credit he has as far as like a novel was this old, is it Korean uh, leader? He wrote a, a book about, uh, but yeah, again, it's back to history. So he must be a, a big history buff. I don't know. There's not a lot of interviews about him. But uh, that would be my guess is that he's into history. So I think that's cool. Yeah. I'm looking at the Voyager episodes that we kind of picked out. And you're absolutely right, Mark. Distant Origin, which I've already spoke about, is from, you know, the dinosaurs. We've got Living Witness, which is set far, far in the future. Yes. Looking, looking backwards at the history of the distorted oh. history of Voyager. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Blink of an Eye which shows an entire civilization's rapid development over the course of a few minutes or hours of our kind of real time on Voyager, but that you take them from kind of cavemen through to space explorers in the blink of an eye, hence the title of an episode. So that's all history. So in very different ways. So you're absolutely right, Mark. I wonder if that is an interest of joe's i mean time's arrow the chase come on <laughs> masks you know darmok even you know mm -hmm. we're learning about this culture through you know allegory about their past things that have happened yeah it's all history yeah. based even clues it's only 24 mm -hmm. hours but it's still history See, this is why we study behind the camera. Because when you just take a moment, you can start seeing and pulling on the threads of, 
Oh, this might be what Joe is discussing. When you look at their works all together and getting that bird's eye perspective, we're learning about Joe. Now, uh, Joe Minoski is very famous for bringing the number 47 to Star Trek. You guys, this was like the most exciting. I was like texting the group. It's going to be so much fun. Okay. Now I have said that 47 was brought um, by Joe Minoski previously, but I never really knew why. So let me get into the deets as the kids say. So Joe Minoski went to Pomona College in California, and back in 1946, two math students did a research project to see if there is a number that shows up statistically more often than just regular numbers. Um, there's a whole branch of mathematics called that. Um, it's pretty awesome. Um, so they found 47 and they're like, all right. However, it was a false mathematical proof. They made an error, but the legend had begun. And the number 47 shows up quite a lot at Pomona College and students just kept going off with it. However, Pomona College is located on exit 47 off of the freeway I-10. The largest student building uh, has 47 characters in the title of the building and has 47 balusters. Do you know, those are on the staircase, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, and it became so well known that the college, uh, has created on April 7th, because in the U S we would write that as the fourth month, seventh day. So four, seven, they have a big community service day where all the students get to volunteer and, you know, do good for the world. And they change the clock tower bells, not to chime at the top of the hour, but to chime on the 47th minute of every hour. Now, how wow. amazing is that? All those 47s started way back then in college. And so Joe Minoski, when he started writing for Star Trek, inserted the number 47 to pay homage to his college, Pomona College. Well, you couldn't have the community service day in the UK phrasing of our no. calendar because you've already got the 4th of July taken. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that's amazing. That That is, I, I mean, that is probably the most information you get about Joe. Yeah, and the way it's not—it's not even about him. It's just no. about his college. But I think I've read a lot of that in—I think it was in like the TNG companion that was in the behind-the-scenes notes for one of the episodes that we'd previously covered. Um, but it's always a big deal when it comes out in an episode. We always point it out. So yeah, I and I think that was pointed out to me about forty-seven, and then I would notice it moving forward. I don't think it would have been anything that would have dawned on me unless someone said, look for a, repeat, a repeating occasion of the number 47. Yeah, I remember it had to have been early 2000s when I started, you know, getting the DVDs um, and just talking about it and more and more people. And they're like, yeah, you, you see that 47? And someone told me and I was like, oh, yeah, this does show up a lot. You know, I still remember the one, the first episode of Discovery, shields are down to 47%. I'm like, yes, the number 47 continues into the new era. Love it. Amy, it's a missed opportunity if you don't edit this episode down to 47 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we, we should have finished two minutes ago, if that's the case. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> That we are talking about the number 47 around the 47 minute mark of this episode. Well done. I planned it that way. <laughs> All right. Now, very recently, Joe Minoski has written his very first novel. And I found this very interesting, especially going with our conversation about him really liking uh, his history and telling stories like that. So November 7th in 2020, 
he published King Sejong the Great. And this is a benevolent Korean king who created the alphabet and the writing system. And there apparently are just everyone in Korea loves King Sejong. Minoski says the king's apparent capacity for both compassion and genius was compelling to me, like a combination of Abraham Lincoln and Leonardo da Vinci. Joe Minoski was taken with this Korean culture because he visited back in 2015 and just fell in love with it and wanted uh, to contribute. And in fact, it's known he is the first non-Korean to write about King Sejong. Wow. So wow. Interesting. Yeah. That is really cool. Also, uh, if you look on Amazon and you can flip through some of the, the pages of the book, I think it's the first few that they give you. There's like quotes from the book uh, at the beginning. And there is an artist rendering of, I believe, Joe Minoski and what he looks like today. But it is a, like a cartoon figure. Uh, hmm. But I was like, OK, because I was looking I was looking for pictures of Joe and could not find any. But I did find it looks like an artist's uh, rendering of what he possibly looks like now as a cartoon. <laughs> So, you know, that has to be a conscious choice by Mr. Minoski to not have a picture of him. I, I, and it's just, does he want to be anonymous? He only wants to be known for his work. He wants to remain private. So, and I was thinking when we, you know, listed those episodes, let's not forget, we're, we're talking here about subjects that were 30 years ago. So, are the reasons he's not as prolific in new Star Trek purely because he's retired? He may be of a certain yeah. age. He's stepped back. Clearly, he's still writing. He's just released this book three years ago with that. Well, yeah, three years. Um, does he want to contribute to more Discovery, Strange New Worlds, any of the new series? Has he been not to promote you know what's the story behind the story there or is he just now you know well i did his, see that his credit he was hired he was hired to work on discovery as a, a producer i believe and also as a writer mm -hmm. however he was poached uh to go work on the orville so he mm -hmm. left willingly to go work and contribute yeah. to the orville uh, and then also he was, you know, grabbed to work on For All Mankind as well. So he's still doing genre. He's still doing sci-fi stuff. Uh, it's just outside of the the Trek universe, but with Trek adjacent Ooh. people, because obviously um, Ronald D. Moore is over at For All Mankind. Um, and uh, the Orville, obviously, that's. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, so Seth MacFarlane, who was on Enterprise and a big Star Trek fan. So maybe he was caught up in all of the behind-the-scenes drama in season one of Discovery. Mm. If you think with, you know, Ron D. Moore being kind of kicked out and uh, Aaron and Gre Gre yeah, and Aaron and Gretchen brought in and, you know, they were mm -hmm. not, very, not very popular. <laughs> mm -hmm. let's, just, let's just leave that there. And then season two under, undercame this big change uh, to the kind of production and direction. So I wonder if he kind of sided with his old faithfuls from Next mm -hmm. Gen, Voyager, and left with them. And that almost tarnished Star Trek a little bit, and he's not he's not been back, I wonder. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. It's so frustrating when we don't know all the gossip. I know. <laughs> I mean, Joe to. can reach out to us for comment. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, mean, we won't tell free. anyone, Joe. You know, just us <laughs> and the listeners. Yeah, just send us a selfie. That's all we want. <laughs> <laughs> he could send us an interview via text or email. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, let's get your final thoughts on Joe Minoski. What have we learned? How are you feeling about him? Well, what have we learned about Joe Minoski? Probably not much, but maybe that is great in itself, that he is this enigma that gets us thinking, gets us forming our own opinions of why he is very anonymous and he doesn't have this big profile 
behind this huge body of work, but also were grateful for this great standard of Trek that he has provided for us over the years and this mysterious legacy of 47 that he has given us. So I love the opportunity that we've had to discuss, Joe, for the last hour, but maybe a little bit frustrated that there are these loose threads that I don't like a loose thread in Star Trek. I like all of the answers. I like everything connecting of the dots. So I'm not a big man of mystery. I don't know. What about you, Mark? I, I find it fascinating uh, to, to quote uh, Mr. Spock um, that we're discussing, we, we came to Jovanovsky because obviously uh, if people have listened to this podcast at all, they know Amy and I really love Jovanovsky and love his episodes. Uh, and we love them for their idiosyncrasies. They're outside the box thinking they're high concept and they really make you think. And here we are discussing the man himself. And we are essentially, <laughs> we are, um, driving ourselves crazy trying to find information on this guy. Uh, and he's such an enigma. The man himself is an enigma. So the episodes he's creating makes us scratch our heads, but also trying to figure out about him is making us scratch our heads. The guy is his work, right? Uh, so he, he is equally as interesting and thought provoking and head scratching and perplexing as the work that he has produced for us to enjoy. So find that kind of meta. So uh, I think this has been a great, you know, informative discussion for us because I didn't know the man was like that. There's not a lot of people left that aren't being pushed by whatever uh, companies they're working for, whether they're authors or they're artists or musicians or what have you that aren't being told, Hey, we have to have you do some amount of publicity, social media, red carpet events, this or that, the other thing, everybody's getting pushed to that. And here's Joe off in whatever cave he's working in, uh, still producing stuff, but very much, you know, isolated and away from the mainstream. And I kind of love that. So wherever you are, Joe, um, you know, keep on keeping on. Yeah, I was thinking the same things as you, Mark, where it's like, yeah, we just we don't know anything. So all we have to know Joe is know his works and we can analyze and look for these themes of, yeah, he definitely knows, understands humanity because he can write these amazing character developments and tell these great stories. And he loves the historical concept and historic history. And so he's bringing in you know, these fake histories that maybe may not be fake. I mean, who knows? Um, so to pull these themes out of his work is really the best way we get to know him. And it has been very interesting. It's been a fun week just thinking about him and learning about him and all the many, many episodes um, that he has contributed to Trek. We are just very grateful to cover him on our Architect series. What shows are on BQN, you ask? Well, here's a rundown of some podcasts you might be interested in. All Good Things, a Star Trek Universe podcast covering all of Trek, hosted by Amy, Mark, Christos, and Kelvin. Bargain Bin Gamer, a YouTube show hosted by Davey, a self-proclaimed gamer who specializes in reviewing and showcasing affordable video games. If you're lost in the Delta Quadrant, check out The Captain's Couch, a Star Trek Voyager podcast hosted by Jeremiah sitting on Janeway's ready room couch. Cinema Z, a film discussion and review podcast showcasing films you probably missed but should definitely check out. Hosted by Mark, Matt, and Laz. Beam Aboard the Galaxy Class, a Star Trek Next Generation podcast covering all of TNG. Hosted by Amy, Joe, Rhea, and Kevin. History with the Zilagis, a snippet of historical events from around the world. Hosted by Chrissy and Jason. 
For the newest Trek coverage, check out Infinite Diversity, hosted by Chrissy and Thad. Test your Trek knowledge with Trexpert's Quiz, a Star Trek quiz show hosted and written by Davey. Union Federation, covering all things Star Trek and the Orville, which we all know is really a Star Trek show. Hosted by Kyle, Kevin, Amy, and Haley. Spill the tea with What's the Tea, Bev? A Trek current events and fan interview show hosted by Christos. And for our Patreon members, we have The Hive Mind, BQN's monthly roundtable discussion with hosts and listeners. It's Green, a cornucopia of topics hosted by Mark. And Amy's Math Moments, a quick look at math moments in Star Trek hosted by Amy. We know you have a choice of podcasts to choose from, and we thank you for listening to BQN. Assimilate the audio. Mark, what are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, uh, we'll be covering our first contact series, and we'll be watching Who Watches the Watchers? And this is yes. a TNG episode. Very Yay. excited. Love this episode. It's so cool. They got the little, it's a cave episode because they're in a cave. Just oh. oh my gosh. Yes. It so <laughs> is. Wow. Full circle moment there. <laughs> mm-hmm. We would love to hear what you thought of today's episode and hope you'll join our Facebook group, the BQN Collective, to continue our discussion there. You can also reach us at All Good Pod on Twitter and Blue Sky. Please follow the network Twitter, Blue Sky, and Instagram at BQN Podcast. We've also partnered with our friends at the Fandom Podcast Network, where you can find us by searching their master feed. So, Kelvin, where can people find you when you're traveling 47 miles in 47 minutes to go visit the home of Patrick Stewart? Love that. Uh, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on the socials at Kelvin's Timeline or in the BQN Collective Facebook group. Please come and chat. And Mark, where can people find you when you're not being all mysterious and enigmatic and just treating us with your little historical nuggets? <laughs> well... When I'm not doing that, I'm definitely in the Beacon Collective Facebook page. Uh, you can also hear me on my other podcast, Cinema Z, where I talk films with some really cool people and have a lot of fun. And we have some cocktails. Uh, yeah, so you can find me there. And also on Blue Sky at MW207. So, Amy, where can people find you when you are not using an ancient piece of pottery to go search across the entire quadrant to find the birth of all sentient beings well when i am not doing that uh which is you know it's sort of a lifetime goal so you can find me here on the network where i'm co-hosting galaxy class yes it's still being out there hang tight listeners we've got some upcoming news about galaxy class so just Hang with us. I'm also on Union Federation discussing new episodes of Star Trek. And I am on Twitter, X, at Miss Amy Nelson. But my favorite place, BQM Collective, on the Facebook group. Please hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a star rating and written a review. That helps others to find the show. You can also follow the entire network's podcast with our master feed by searching BQN. At this time, we would like to thank our associate producers, Mahendran Radhakrishnan and Tim Cooper. A special thanks to Graham Kelly for our opening and closing music and for Mark White for our artwork each and every week. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you too can become a patron of our network on Patreon. We add you to the Hive Mind Facebook group so you can enjoy It's Green, Amy's Math Moments, and other network perks. With a monthly subscription of $5 or more, you can join our meetings on the Hive Mind Roundtable discussion on the second Saturday of each month. Visit patreon.com forward slash BQN to get all the details and watch your messages. Thank you for listening. 
We hope you'll join us as we search out all good things. I thought I was alone. I thought I would not have to share the sky with you. But without me, you are not complete. I know you so well. You live for the chase, as do I. Will you not miss being the hunter? Pursuing me? Forcing me from the sky? So that you can rise again? You you know me well, Corgano. I think that you are beginning to tire. It's difficult, brightening the sky forever. Mm, I am getting sleepy. You, you always do that to me. So that you can wake with the dawn and begin the hunt again. Let the hunt begin again. I, I am eager for that. As am I.